You're listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Ridgecrest Baptist Church in Springfield, Missouri. To connect with us or learn more, visit us online at ridgecrestbaptist.org. Well, good morning, Ridgecrest. It is good to be with you here today on this Memorial Day weekend. And our subject matter is spiritual warfare, and I think that dovetails very nicely and in one way, sort of somewhat tragically, with what we're going to be meditating on as a culture, as a country this weekend. We know that Memorial Day is the day that we honor those who have fallen for our freedom. It's the time that we memorialize those who have gone on to be with the Lord. And we need to realize as we think about that, we need to be very thankful, of course, for those who've made that sacrifice. But as we begin to talk about spiritual warfare, we need to realize that war is war and casualties do occur. We need to understand that the battle that we're fighting is a serious one. And the foe that we are fighting, he is playing for keeps. And church, I'm going to ask you if you will consider if it's time for you and me to start playing for keeps. If we'll start fighting the battle in order to not just survive it, but to win it. We want to win this battle because souls are in danger. Think about what is in the balance. It's not about treasure. It's not about uh, power in any way. It really is about souls. And so as we are here in Ephesians again today, we're reminded of that. And we want to talk today about the good fight, the good fight that precedes the good place. So let's take a moment here and look at Ephesians chapter 6, beginning in verse 13. We're picking up right where we left off last week. And here it goes. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and his shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we ask for boldness in this moment as we proclaim the mystery of the gospel. We know that it is the cross, your cross, Jesus, that saves us. That is our only hope. And so today, Lord, as we think about being in the good fight, help us to remember it's for the sake of souls. It's for those who are lost and perishing. Help us to care for them as we go to your word, encourage us, show us where the fight is, and help us to get joined in. We pray this now in Jesus' name, amen. Well, many of you know that I often read uh, the, the, the past. I'm a, a historical kind of guy. With this gray hair, I'm starting to look very historical. But there's a, a Puritan pastor by the name of William Gurnell. And in about 11 verses here in Ephesians chapter 6, he wrote a 1,200-page book. Now, you may think that is way over the top. But I will say this. Just if you think that I'm long-winded, just remember it could be worse. 
But here in this passage, we see some great truths. And I think that Gernal didn't waste any time spending a lot of time on this subject matter because he knew then what many preachers in this time today are just now beginning to realize. And that is ministry isn't a job. It is a battle. It's about spiritual warfare. And if we lose track of that as pastors, we fail our people. But I want to say this. It's also important that every single Christ follower, those who are in the pews every week drinking in the gospel, we need to realize that we have a battle to fight as well. And we need to be prepared for it. There's a quote that Grinnell gives that I think is amazingly true and powerful. He says this, in heaven, we will wear robes, but here we must wear armor night and day. I think the problem for the church today, and I I fear this is the problem, is that too many of us are trying to put on the luxurious robes of heaven before our time. Yes, heaven is coming, and yes, there is the great hope of heaven, but church, we are here in this world, and we cannot put on the robes of heaven yet. It's not that time. We have a good fight that we must join in before we can go to the good place that is heaven. We all need to understand that the battles that lie ahead, they need to be won Every time we win a battle, it's not about bragging rights. It's about souls. It's about people who otherwise are going to go away from God and go to a devil's hell. It's that serious. There is an enemy in the world. And we need to realize that we need to be prepared. We have the need to put on, as Paul has told us here, the armor of God. You know, I was thinking about this and how many times as Christians we're, we're calling out to God and asking him to help us and to bless us and to be with us. And sometimes we feel like that God isn't answering those prayers. Could it be that the reason why that God isn't answering the prayers is that, that we have is because we've not been utilizing the tools, the resources that he's already given us. Many of you have had the experience of taking a small child to the mall or into a toy store And the child says, I want this toy. I want it so bad. I need this toy. And and mom or dad says, well, you're not even playing with the toys you have. Why would I buy another toy just to go into the closet or into the toy box? I wonder how many of us, when we go to God and ask for more, he's saying, why aren't you using what I've already given you? Church, it's time to put on the whole armor of God. No exception. We need to understand that God may be holding back those blessings because we're not doing what we're called to do, what he's given us as tools to do the work. And so let's talk about the good fight before we go to the good place. Let's not put on the heavenly robes just yet, church. Let's put on the armor of God. So let's begin right there. It's all or nothing, friends. We must put on the full armor of God. That's the majority of what our passage is talking about, and that's the main point that I want to make today with you here. But notice in verse 13 that it all begins with a simple phrase and a simple challenge. Therefore, take up. Verse 13, therefore, take up. The whole armor of God. 
Paul isn't mincing words here. He's not giving us a choice. He's not giving us latitude as it relates to what it means to, to, to do the work of, of, of the faith and of Christianity. He is saying, put on the whole armor of God. And he wants us to realize that the battle we're fighting is not one of politics. It is not a people battle at all, as we alluded to last week. We need to realize that our battle isn't against other people, but it's against those cosmic forces of utter evil that verse 12 tells us about. I know some people probably misunderstood me uh, when I said that, that we're not fighting people because obviously it's people often that seem to be used by the enemy. But I keep saying, remember, that person is being duped by darker forces. See the real power behind that person. That That person has no power over you. But the enemy, Satan, has real power. And that's who we need to focus our attention on. We need to realize that. Don't go after the person, but realize you need a spiritual power to win a spiritual battle. In verse 12, we see there the mention of the present darkness. Oh, friends, we are up against the devil and we had better wake up to the fact. It seems like most of us are are caught sleeping when it comes to our Christian faith. And those who have studied battles and war know that careless soldiers fall victim to surprise attacks. Do you want to know why when that temptation comes up, you, you'll, you'll hear about people who just, who seem to be doing so good in their faith and then all of a sudden a temptation occurs and they, they completely give in to the sin. Why is that? Well, because they were surprised by it. They were living their lives as though the enemy would never attack them, that there was no way that they would be caught off guard, but they were. We are all vulnerable to this. If you think that you are uh, not vulnerable to Satan's attacks, then you are very, very likely to about to receive an attack from Satan. This is crucial for us. But sadly, careless may be the best word to describe many in the church today. Yes, we want to coach people and encourage people as a church. Sadly, that's not enough. We want to entertain and satisfy. Sadly, that is not enough. We want programs and resources that give us our best life now, but that is not enough. All those things I mentioned to you are not enough to win the battle that lies ahead. We cannot defeat Satan with good programs and good intentions. We have to believe that the power of God can fill us, change us, and give us victory. It's time for the church to have this kind of mentality, and if we don't, we will lose. I think about what we focus our time on in the church. Yes, we are worried about marriages and we're worried about our children. But do you realize what will defeat your marriage and what will rob you of of your children and their faith and their growth in the Lord is Satan. We can have the very best counseling for them. And, and we, can, we can lament when things go wrong and say, oh, if we would have just had a better program. No, 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 that's not it. It's not that, that the church can fix all of these problems just by doing things better, by having a more organized ministry. No, we have to be on our knees and believing in the power of God. Too many of our spiritual concerns are horizontal, it seems like. We're, we're trying to care for one another on this horizontal plane, but what we need to realize is we need power from heaven to do this work. We need power from on high. Think about this. If the church has let us down, It's because the leaders of the church have become coaches rather than generals, comforters rather than drill sergeants. 
I have to imagine that most people today, when they come in to hear a sermon, aren't expecting a drill sergeant. And I'm telling you, I don't think that's really who I am and and what I would be best at either. But friend, if all I ever do is tell you they're there, it's okay. I'm not preparing you for the battle. From time to time, I've got to tell it like it is and encourage you for what is uh, coming at you. I can't just be the one who coaches you through this. You need to be challenged. God's word breaks my heart every day. Is it breaking yours? Are you conforming to his will or are you conforming to the culture? That's the question. And many of us, if we answer that honestly, we know why we're in trouble. Verse 13 doesn't sound like a coach to me. Paul sounds like a general. He's saying prepare for war or die. The context here is is really about fighting the good fight today. It's not about the end of time. He's not talking about just a battle that's gonna happen uh, in some way off future time. I think Paul is preparing us for the daily battles. I know that you could come to this passage and say, well, I know, of course, at the end of time, there's gonna be this great battle between uh, good and evil. But right now, things seem to be going pretty much okay. And, And if you're thinking that way, you're missing. You're missing the battle that's all around you. I think think Paul is saying today is the day. You need to put on the whole armor of God. I think for many years, Christians have fretted over the apocalypse. When I was a young man, they had prophecy seminars and everybody was trying to figure out when the end of the world was. And well, if they just lived through 2020, they might think it was now, but I don't know. But here's the thing. Don't spend your time worrying about when the apocalypse is coming, when the apocalyptic nature of sin is tearing your soul apart and tearing your family apart. The devil doesn't mind if you worry about the end of time, if you're not taking care of the battle today. It's time to win the battle today. You see, even in the Old Testament, we learn about the Lord of hosts. One of the names of God is a very much a military general-like term, the Lord of hosts, the one who goes on before us. He's our leader, he's our general, he's our champion. We need to realize that God's word from beginning to end is preparing us for daily battles, spiritual battles that must be won. So what do we do? We're here, and I'm gonna go quickly through this, but we're gonna see here that there is the armor of God that Paul tells us that we need to put on. These are metaphorical in nature, but they're helpful because it reminds us that we do have uh, solid, true, and very good tools to win the battle for Jesus. Let's take a look at the first one, which is really quite interesting. You'll notice there that Paul tells us that we need to put on the belt of truth, to put on the belt of truth there in verse 14. Now, what's interesting about this is one scholar says it's not just like a belt, like you, you, you put on in the morning when you, when you put your pants on, okay? It's a little bit more than that. It's actually something that's underneath all of the armor so, uh, so that your children can giggle here. Um, I'm actually talking about underwear. It's probably underwear. So here we have the original instance of under armor, okay? Um, I don't know if that's a trademark infraction. If so, please forgive me under armor. But anyway, that's what's going on here. Now, I think that we can kind of laugh about this, but think deeply for a moment with me about how important this is. If we're talking about something that is underneath, it's actually something that's holding all the outside armor together. Now notice, it's not just a belt, It's the belt of truth. All of the things that we're doing here in spiritual warfare fall apart if we're not standing firm on the truth of God. 
You see how important that is? This belt seems like something that, why would Paul start with that? Something that most people would have snickered at initially? What's he talking about? Something that seems so minor and insignificant? Well, it's major significant, majorly significant if it holds everything together for the fight that is ahead. Oh, friends, today we cannot compromise the truth. We cannot try to candy coat the gospel. We cannot try to pretend as though uh, today the ears uh, of people need to hear a softer gospel. No, I, th- I say it's just quite the opposite. I think people need to hear the unvarnished truth of the gospel that Jesus had to die a terrible death because we are terrible sinners. I don't think that is being said enough today because we want to tamp that down. We want to appease uh, people with good, encouraging messages. But think about that. When all I do is encourage you, all we're doing is focusing on horizontal issues, things that are happening in the world. But do you realize that there is heaven and hell? There's a larger battle that's being fought. And that's what God's word will not let us forget. We need to bind ourselves with the belt of truth holding together with the truth of God. It's interesting here that the truth here can represent the kind of facts that we would think of as truth, knowledge, and things of that nature. But the way this is worded, I think that it, Paul's giving a larger application here because Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. He's telling us that it's not just propositional truth that holds all the armor together, but it is the one who said he is truth with a capital T. This isn't time out. This means capital T truth. Jesus holds it all together. He speaks truth, but he is truth. Now notice also that we are told about the breastplate of righteousness. It's not enough to have truth on the inside, but that truth needs to lead us to live righteous lives. And so I think that's why Paul follows the, the belt of truth with this breastplate of righteousness. It shows that truth has an inside beginning, but it has an outside application. How can we be defended uh, when all of the outrageous arrows of the enemy are coming at us, as Paul speaks of here in this passage, the darts of the evil one? Well, we're living out truth. And that truth helps to deflect those arrows and to keep them from sinking in and causing damage to our hearts. The breastplate covers the heart and you need your heart protected by Jesus and his truth. So here we have this this amazing, I think, amazing truth that Paul's telling us, know the truth inside, but live the truth and have that Wear it on your chest where everybody can see it, where it's, where it's that shined up polished armor where everybody can see that you're living the truth. It's not hidden, it's lived out. I think that's what Paul is saying. Now we go to another kind of strange thing to say when we're talking about warriors. I mean, you know, shoes are cool and all, but why would we talk about the shoes of the soldier? Paul says that we need to have shoes for our feet. Now we understand if we've studied our scriptures closely that the gospel of peace, it comes, it's often talked about in in terms of of feet and, and sandals and coming in that way. But here Paul is saying we need to strap on these shoes for our feet. And here's why. Because the ground we're walking on in this world is incredibly slippery and treacherous. Why does the warrior need good footwear? Because the ground we're standing on is not very stable. 
to fight the fight. We need to dig in and we need to hold firm. And here in a minute, we're gonna talk about the need to stand firm. Well, you can't stand firm if your feet are sliding back. You have to have these solid shoes with a good grip. And that's what Paul is talking about here. We need to make sure we understand that when we are bringing war, uh, we're not bringing war to people. We're bringing war to Satan, but he is strong. If he starts pushing on you, if you don't have these shoes of, of peace on, you're gonna fall back. You're gonna be pushed back. And we are told to stand firm. Next, we see the shield of faith. And the Greek word here for shield represents the full body shield that Roman soldiers carried to war. Roman soldiers either had a really small shield that they kind of kept on their arm uh, for more close hand-to-hand combat, but the main shield of the Roman soldier was the one that covered his entire body. That's the name here that's given, not the little shield, but the big shield. Why does Paul choose this word? Why does he talk about the big shield? Well, it's because when the devil gets involved, you've got big problems. He's not going to just aim at one part of you. He's going to hit any part he can as often as he can. And you need as much spiritual coverage as possible. That's why Paul mentions this full shield. It says here that we need him in all circumstances or literally over all things because it's coming. If you stand for Jesus, I'm promising you uh, the devil is coming. I had an an interesting week to say the least. It's been a challenging week. And at one point I said to someone, I said, you know, when you start preaching about spiritual warfare, you need to just expect that it's coming to you. And so last week I preached and I felt pretty good about my sermon and I went home and had a good afternoon. And then the devil started hitting and I had to practice what I preach and I needed to put on the armor of God and I needed this full shield because every single exposed part of my soul seemed to be uh, fired at by the enemy. That's the kind of war we need to prepare for. That's why we need to be on the defense. Now the last defensive element here in the text is the helmet. And you need to protect your head, obviously. Now, some of you, as I know many of you are Baptists that are listening to this, maybe you don't need the helmet as much, but actually you do. Um, Hard-headed Baptists still need the helmet, I promise you. Um, Now, what is this pointing to? Well, obviously the helmet's important for a number of reasons, but I think Paul is telling us that one of the things we have to defend above all else is our minds. I think that most Christian defeats begin with the mind where we begin to give in in our minds to the thoughts of sin, and before we know it, we are lost. Hear this, though. If Jesus can save your soul, he can also deliver your mind. Your mind, if you will hide behind the cross, you can find deliverance. Now, let me ask you, church, how many thought battles have you lost in the past week or the past month? We lose a lot of them, don't we? The only thing I can say to you is hide behind the cross and trust in Jesus. Finally, Paul wants us to know that we do have one mighty offensive weapon at our disposal, and that is the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. You see that in verse 17. Yes, we're going to get hit from every angle, but we are not left without any recourse. We do have the sword of the Word. And once again, we started with uh, the talk of truth, with the belt of truth, and here we end with the talk of truth, with, with the Word of God and that being the sword. It really is about leaning in to the sword of the Lord and allowing that sword to do our fighting. 
We cannot win with just rhetoric, with clever words. We can only win when we say God's word is better than any other word in this world. Hebrews 4.12 says this, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. But here's the thing, church, you have to use it. You have to use it. Once you have put on all this armor, what's next? Well, here's where it gets really interesting. God's word is not telling you to charge headlong into the fray. God's word is just asking you today to be filled with the spirit and to stand for Jesus. Notice the words stand and withstand in these verses 18 through 20. These are essential concepts that help us to understand the power of our foe and our powerlessness without the help of God. A Christian soldier does not have to have a hero's mentality. Not long ago, I read a book entitled Washington's Immortals. It's about the 1st Maryland Regiment. They fought in the Battle of Brooklyn. 400 of them fought. Almost every single one of them gave their lives in that battle as a rear guard action to defend the rest of George Washington's army. They were brave. Those men knew when they took that assignment that they were doing what in the old days they called a forlorn hope. In other words, they were fighting a battle that they knew that they would never return from. Friends, I'm going to tell you that sometimes when we're fighting spiritual warfare, it seems like a forlorn hope, that there's no way that we can win. And the truth is, you can't win it. It would be absolutely arrogant for me to make you think that if we pray enough or read the Bible enough or work hard enough, that we can push back against the enemy. If that were true, I think Paul would say something different than stand. I think he would say go. He would say move forward. He would say charge. But no, he says stand and withstand. So what's the most heroic thing you can do today? Is just stand for Jesus. The culture needs the church to just stand up. They don't need my strength. The world doesn't need your strength. The world needs the power of God. Nothing less than that will do. You know, I'm going to borrow a phrase from modern culture, and that is, we need to become the resistance again. The church needs to be the resistance. And what all we have to do, if we want to ruffle the, the, the feathers of the world, we don't have to go out and charge. We just have to stand up and be counted. And that's what the good fight is. The good fight is the courage to stand Church, stand, not just with me and your church, but stand in the power of the Holy Spirit. Stand without apology for what you know to be true. The truth that saved you is the truth that can drive you forward for Christ, but not in your own strength. You just stand. You let Jesus take you forward. He will show you where you need to be. He will help you find the souls in danger that need your help. Oh, friends, when we stand up for Jesus, we will always be assured of eternal victory. When we do the work, we fail. When we stand firm for Christ and are empowered by the Holy Spirit, we will experience victory for Jesus. In this world, I know there are many of us who've had spiritual failures and we feel like that we've lost the fight already, that we should not even get back into the fray. I want to encourage you right now, if the enemy has been telling you that you shouldn't be in the battle, that's not from God, that's from the enemy. You may have failed in the past, but even your failures can help you become a mighty warrior for God 
in the future, you need to stand. You need to stop staying still because of something in your past and begin to realize that God takes broken vessels and uses uses them for mighty, mighty purposes. God has that plan for you. Too many of us have surrendered our calling. Too many of us have said, well, I believe in security of the believer, so you're already getting fitted for your heavenly robes. When Paul is saying, it's time to put on the armor of God. No excuses, church. We need to realize that the battle for souls is far from over. And the only question I have for you this morning is, why aren't you in the battle? Why aren't your gifts, your energies, and your heart fully engaged? We need ambassadors for Christ who will not be chained down by past failures or cowed into submission by the angry voices of our culture. No, we need people who are going to stand firm. Don't put on the heavenly robes yet. There is a good fight that must precede the good place. Don't forget that and engage in the battle for the glory of Christ and so that victory will be in his name. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we ask that you will forgive us if we've put on the robes too soon. If our armor has been collecting dust, Lord, forgive us. Help us to get into the fight. The enemy is cruel. He has a lot of evidence on all of us that we have failed. And we know it's true. We know that we're not worthy of this armor. But Lord, because of your blood covering us, that's what we claim as our worthiness. You died for our sins. And I know, Lord, that we can live for you. God, please help Ridgecrest Baptist Church and the other gospel preaching churches of this area, of this nation, of this world, to get ready for the good fight. Oh, God, please Don't let us be pie in the sky, just looking to heaven and not ready for the fight today. God, help us, strengthen us, encourage us. For this is no forlorn hope, but this is the hope of the gospel and the promise of God that if we stand, we will have victory in Jesus. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Normally, we finish right there and we're done for the day, but I want to take a moment and share one more thought with you before we um, leave for today. And, and quite frankly, when we go from here, obviously we have our Wednesday night prayer meeting and we hope you'll plug into that Wednesday night. At, uh, we're doing 6.30 this week or 5.30. We're doing 6.30 or 5.30. We're doing 5.30 this week. So that we're going to continue that time. So Wednesday night at 5.30. And then next Sunday... We're going to begin coming back together. Now, I wish I had more time today during the time of the sermon. I would have focused a little bit more on the power of prayer mentioned in verses 18 through 20. But if you still have your scriptures open, I want you to notice how Paul is not too big and too proud and too sure of himself to ask for help. In these passages, he says, uh, making supplication for all the saints. And then he says, and also for me. Paul asks for the prayers of his people and I'm going to ask for the prayers of Ridgecrest Baptist Church for me and for the leaders here at the church. We have a, 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 an exciting 
Sunday planned next Sunday, but we're also watching the news, watching the reports, making sure that everything is safe and secure for us to come in. And so when we come in, I wish that I could tell you that the church experience, the worship experience that you're used to at Ridgecrest is going to just pick up and go right where we left off the last time we were here, but that's just not the case. We're going to have you uh, here, and that's going to be a good first step. But you're going to notice that our staff and our volunteers are going to be guiding you in. If you get here early, even for that 715 service, you may be on the front row. And some of you Baptists, I know that scares you to death. But you can make it. You are warriors for God, right? Hopefully. Nonetheless, I know that you're not used to uh, having people tell you where to sit and, and where you can walk and where you can't walk. And, and if you come with a chip on your shoulder, I bet it'll get knocked off inadvertently. Not because we want to, but because it's just going to be different. So here's the thing. I know I always say to the church, prepare your hearts for worship, but I mean it this time. Uh, come prepared for worship. Come prepared for people to be in the room that are at different levels of, of, of feelings of security. There'll be some people that are still very much afraid of getting COVID-19. Please be gracious with your brothers and sisters in Christ and pray for us that we will have a really good flow for everyone and that we'll be able to help everybody get to where they need to get. Now, Already online, you have the ability to sign up for one of our three services. You can do that on our website. Also, any minute now, we're going to send out an email to the church and you can also register for one of the three services there. Keep in mind, you're just registering for an hour and that's gonna help us plan how many volunteers we have and how many people we have kind of working each time slot for worship, okay? Now, I know it would be nice if we could give you assigned seats and you could sign up for the back row, but we're not able to do that just yet. And, and so please be patient and realize that we're gonna have to seat you where, where you kind of fall in the queue, okay? And once this room that we're in right now fills up, we have multiple places where we can put overflow. You can still be together with the body of Christ, but you'll have a video screen. So just keep that in mind. I think we can do about 250 per hour is what we can do right now, okay? So keep that in mind and please, please, please pray for me, pray for the shepherding team and the rest of the staff as we get ready for live worship together. We're so excited about that. But I have to tell you, I'm just a little bit nervous and I would imagine many of you are too. And anytime we begin to be anxious about these things, what else can we do but to go to the Lord in prayer? So I'm gonna pray one more time and ask God to give us peace that passes all understanding so that when we get together next week, we can truly worship the Lord in spirit and in truth. Let's pray. Thanks for listening. For additional resources, to learn more about us or get connected, visit ridgecrestbaptist.org.